Hey, welcome back to Well That's Interesting. The sounds impossible, but then again, that's this show edition. Today is episode 161, recreating a pop song using only brainwaves and some black holes. Burp. After meals. <laughs> My friends, today is yet another special day here at WTI. Over the course of literally dozens and dozens of episodes, we've witnessed the seemingly unthinkable become reality right before our very own eyes. We've seen crumpled up dead spiders reanimate with nothing but a syringe and air. We've taken a peek at many an animal with many an anus, <laughs> some of them transient and moving about the animal's body. We found two Scottish mummies puzzled together with six people and cracked open a cave that's been sealed for five million years just to find it teeming with life. But one can argue that the most astonishing things are those created by humans, the good and bad. Luckily today, in the first half of the show, we're only talking about the good. Now, at first glance, it may sound familiar to episode 114, turning thoughts into texts, when just last year, researchers created a platform that translates imagined words into visual messages that could be typed out in real time, dramatically helping those with disabilities. This year, Oh, boy howdy. Researchers took this idea and fucking ran with it. Or danced with it. Okay, is it possible to think of a song, its melody, instruments, its lyrics, all of it, and to translate those electrical impulses into a recognizable tune for the rest of us to hear? You fucking bet it is. <laughs> My friends, researchers have created a computer model that can convert brain signals into audio, and we are going to have a listen to it. This project will further help those with disabilities, and it has already unlocked secrets when it comes to our understanding of how the hell our brains understand music. This colossal fucking story, by the way, was submitted by a colossal member of the flock. Oh my god, who else? Who else but the immaculate Lauren? Yeah, Lauren, you fucking champion. Thank you. Thank you for this weird yet wonderful story that uh, this time around has nothing to do with butts. Uh, that's strange for you, but I'll accept it. <laughs> then after the break, another story submitted by a business goose. Uh, I told you today was a special day. Uh, this one is brought to us by the gorgeous Heidi. You know who you are. And Heidi knows me well, too. This story has it all the horror of deep space, black holes, and burping. <laughs> For real. Up to half of black holes that chow down on stars eventually, air quotes, burp up, remains years later. It's indigestion on a galactic scale, kind of. Uh, all shall be revealed, but not much of it can be explained, as this is a brand new discovery that once again is changing the way we look at holes. <clears throat> I'm Jill Chacha, by the way, and if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my glitzy business goose. To begin, we need to set up a hell of a lot of context and actually travel back in time to explain just how monumental the following study is. My friends, like I mentioned at the top of the show, the past few years have seen major breakthroughs in manifesting words from signals produced by the brains of people with paralysis. Although these were exciting, important achievements, they were still baby steps, if you will. Now, 
I can tell you have impeccable taste because you listen to this show. And I have a hankering you listen to a number of other podcasts as well. Maybe, just maybe, one of the things that makes you come back week after week are the feelings you get when tuning in. And that's because, my perceptive business goose, you're picking up on the subtle, nuanced expressions of human speech. And that is what's been missing from the puzzle. Dr. Gerwin Schalk, one of the neuroscientists who collected data for the study we're about to hop into, told Hannah Kiros of the New York Times, quote, a significant amount of information conveyed through speech comes from what linguists called prosodic elements, like tone, the things that make us a lively speaker and not a robot, end quote. So, my friends, this means to create a better speech platform, we need to better understand how we perceive music. Hanakiro summed it up best, quote, the aim is for these devices to relate not only what someone is trying to say, but retain some of the musicality, rhythm, and emotion of the organic speech, end quote. Needless to say, this is a very hard thing to do. So, it may not be a shock to hear what's been called a, quote, technical tour de force by neuroscientist Robert Zutore of uh, McGill University. This gigantic leap forward actually got its feet off the ground in 2009 and took well over a decade to achieve because we didn't have the technology. The desire, the drive was there, but not the devices, not yet. Now, I'm going to put 2009 into perspective, which is, <laughs> it's going to make so many of us feel our age, but 2009 was the year the cell phone matured into the smartphone. It was officially the year, quote, we carried tiny computers in our pockets through which we fed the internet constant real-time information about where we were and what we were doing. Droves of iPhone owners downloaded games, widgets, and tools for their phones from Apple. By September, just over a year after the company started selling apps through its iTunes app store, two billion of the applications had been downloaded. End quote. From John D. Sutter's 2009 CNN article, the top 10, 10 tech trends <laughs> of 2009. The top 10 tech trends, Jesus, of 2009. Oh God, the world was, a, just, was just filled with so much promise for a new age had begun. Anything was possible, it seemed. You only needed a little patience. Oh, it was time to make the leap. Join me, will you, at the Albany Medical Center in New York State. It was here from 2009 to 2015, year by painstaking year. A sample size of 29 epilepsy patients had volunteered for a new treatment. Electrodes were to be implanted into their brain to record activity during a seizure, and I don't mean some electrodes. I mean 2,668. <laughs> And if you want to take a peek at what that looks like in an x-ray, yes, I've got you. Head on over to our social media stuffs, tap on today's post, and take a look. It's a lot. Now, embedding over 2,500 electrodes throughout a brain is a rare opportunity, especially when they're designed to record electrical impulses. We finally have the chance to literally be inside a part of the brain that hasn't been physically recorded before. The appropriate, the, I could, I, I, let's try that again. <laughs> the, 
the appropriately named Dr. Ludovic Bellier, neuroscientist and computational researcher at the University of California at UC Berkeley, who led the new study, was like, this, this is it. Now is the time to play music during each of these operations, and we're going to record what the brain is popping off. And we're going to do this to eventually train a computational model to recognize which patterns of brain activity correspond to which musical features. Ha 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 moi, And scene. Now, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I could hear your applause. Now, I assume the other neuroscientists who just wanted to focus on epilepsy were like, dude, you're crazy. But fine, we'll do it. Just stay out of the way. But my friends, there's a method to this madness. Remember, this is the ancient times of the early 2010s, and not many folks even knew the word algorithm. Co-author Robert Knight, a psychologist and neuroscientist at UC Berkeley, was one of those few folks who did, and explained the method to science.org. Quote, If you're a really accomplished piano player, and you watch someone playing the piano keys, you can easily reconstruct what they're playing. End quote. My friends, this group of researchers wanted to achieve a first. They wanted to construct a recognizable version of an original song using nothing but brainwaves. And having over 2,500 electro electrodes per brain is a great way to start. Knight broke down how each was used to Phi ja Jacobs of science.org, explaining, quote, some electrodes functioned like single piano keys representing individual notes. But the algorithm also needed to interpret more complex acoustic elements, including volume and rhythm." End quote. That part is very important, my friends. And very, very, very long story short, the team turned some of the electrodes into 128 frequency bands, which meant training 128 individual computer models. When operating together, they would make an entire song, its tone, tempo, everything that moves you. Whew. I'm already out of breath, so can we just take a moment and just give thanks that our brains can interpret sound and combine all of it to make a song in our heads like it's no big fucking deal? It's like, <laughs> turns out it's a really big deal and it's really fucking complicated. Ah. Now, you may be wondering at this point, okay, shut up, did it work? I get you. And what in the holy hell did it sound like? Also, what song did they choose to recreate anyway? Great questions. Here's a fun fact. According to Hannah Kiros of The Times, quote, the team chose Pink Floyd's 1979 song, Another Brick in the Wall, part one, partly because the older patients liked it. If they said, I can't listen to this garbage, then the data would have been terrible. German Schock noted. Plus, the song features 41 seconds of lyrics and two and a half minutes of moody instrumentals, a combination that was useful for teasing out how the brain processes words versus melody, end quote. Um, moody. <laughs> moody is right. Uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, wow, how can I put this if you've never had a listen? Pink Floyd sounds like the terms existential crisis and the human condition combined. Um, and before I play anything... <laughs> <laughs> you asked if it worked. Well, fuck yes, it did. In fact, it worked smashingly. But you need to know how we know it works. How we know it can read... Read? It can, can I read? How, how we know it can read brain signals correctly. 
Now, remember, researchers train this massive computer model on the data from participants. But get this, the model only received 90% of the Pink Floyd song slash brainwave data. That remaining 10% is a 15-second clip from the middle of the track. It was left out deliberately. These 15 seconds are going to be the big test, the center stage, the Lincoln Center Metropolitan Opera debut. With what the algorithm had learned, could it read these new brainwaves and play the music? Let's hear it for ourselves. That's right. It's happening. Uh, This is the actual 15-second track, as played by the humans of Pink Floyd. I'm going to play that right now, just so you can get a sense of what the song is like. All our words just a break in the wall. All in all, it was uh, award-winning. Okay, now my business goose, my excited business goose. After reading those brainwaves, this is what the computer model put together, and I have to say it's more Pink Floyd than Pink Floyd, but you're going to have to just turn up your volume just a little bit more. Just increase it just a few. Perfect. There you go. Okay. Now, this, this is what the computer model created. My God. Okay. Okay. I know what you're thinking. It sounds like we're underwater, but that was Pink Floyd. That's the song. It's identifiable, moody, the fucking rhythm, the notes. You can make it out. It's in sum, this worked. We're a huge step closer to creating a brain machine interface that could account for prosodic elements, allowing patients to communicate a little more naturally. And somehow, That's not all this study accomplished. It also found that both hemispheres of the brain uh, play a role when listening to music, yet the right hemisphere is engaged a little more than the left, especially one particular spot. Uh, My friends, if you would, point to your right ear. Don't worry, if you're in public, people have seen weirder things. Just point to your right ear. Okay, thank you. Now move it a smidge higher. Okay, that is the superior temporal gyrus, and it seemed to be heavily involved when deciphering rhythm. This area was lighting the fuck up when when volunteers heard the 16th notes of the song's rhythm guitar. Uh, Now, these may be all successes, but the study did have some limitations. It gathered data from electrodes that required extreme invasive surgery. Needless to say, we can't do this every time we need to train a computer model. So, enter Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging, or fMRIs, a rapidly evolving technology. Uh, For example, Yu Takaji, a neuroscientist at Osaka University, collaborated with scientists at Google just this year using an fMRI, and they were able to identify the genre of music a volunteer was listening to. Um, I'm sure only good things will come out of collaborating with Google, a company, any company, 
uh, especially when analyzing thoughts. Uh, if someone can keep an eye on this, that would be great. Um, in any case, fMRIs are far less invasive and they're already contributing to this field. I wanna stay positive. I really do. So I'm just gonna leave all that right there and say, after the break. <laughs> Thoughts manifesting into music may have seemed impossible a few years ago. And now black holes are joining in on the fun. These cosmic behemoths are constantly surprising us. Some of their sizes are just mind-boggling, and the ages of even more seem just incompatible with current theories. And now we might need to rewrite how they consume stars. Next up, we're looking at some holes. <laughs> Stay tuned. If you like small town mystery, crazy news, and wild history, then the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast is for you. Each week, Josh Mills and Wayne McCarty bring you the absolute best Florida has to offer. So if you're looking for a show that's safe for the family, but funny enough to help you escape everyday life, then listen to the Florida Men on Florida Man podcast. That's Florida Men, plural, on Florida Man podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. We are so back. And my friends, we all have bad days. And some of us have really, really, really bad days. Yvette Sendez, who sounds like a very busy woman, is an astronomer at the Center for Astrophysics for Harvard and the Smithsonian. She was actually having a great day. Her entire team was. It was the star they were observing. This thing was going through one of the worst ordeals you can possibly experience. Way the fuck back, in October 2018, our Astro Gang was finally witnessing something that had occurred even farther back. I'm talking 665 million years ago. In the galaxy, located 665 million light years away, a star orbited too close to a black hole, and it was torn to shreds. Actually, saying it was torn to shreds is a nice way of putting it. Here's something else that feels incomprehensible. The gravity of these things, of black holes, is so spectacular. The force unravels matter in such a way that the only way to describe it is spaghettiification. Yes, that is the actual official term. Everything and anything is stretched and squeezed and undone within hours. Needless to say, when you pull atoms apart like this, it puts on a show via a very powerful flash of electromagnetic radiation. 
The umbrella term for things like this popping off is called a tidal disruption event, or a TDE. And on this particular day, the team, having witnessed the telltale flash which only comes from a black hole eating, labeled this death AT2018HYZ. R.I.P. Here's a few more fun facts about what happens when a hole uh, spaghettifies something. <laughs> During this feeding frenzy, which I can totally relate to, some material of the star is flung away from the black hole. It's kind of like when you bite into the crispy crust of a slice of pizza and there's a shrapnel everywhere. Yeah, this is called outflow. And 99% of the outflow is lower in energy than when it went in. Like it flies out at 10% the speed of light, which is still an insane speed. And in rare cases, like in 1% of cases, the outflow is way faster, like nearly the speed of light. The rest of the pizza, I'm, I'm sorry, star, <laughs> forms a thin, quote, frisbee-like structure around the black hole called an accretion disk, which gradually feeds that material to the black hole. In its early days, the accretion disk is unstable, and matter sloshes around and smashes into itself, causing outflows detectable by radio waves. End quote. From Robert Leah of LifeScience.com. When we've reached this point, my flattened business goose, astronomers usually stick around and watch this action for a few months. They take notes, compare it to other accretion disks, and when things seem to be all in order and things settle down, we close the book on that TDE. Turns out, my friends, we should have been looking a little longer. For you see, everything I just said now needs to be updated thanks to Yvette Sendez and her team, who decided to take another peek at AT2018HYZ. Let's get into it. To do so, we need to fast forward from 2018 to 2021, almost three years later, when once again, a telltale flash came from a very distant galaxy. A vet and the gang fired up the old telescopes and such, and when you know it, the same exact black hole was flaring up. In fact, the outflow was, quote, one of the most radioluminous TDEs ever observed, end quote, from Caitlin Bion... Ooh, Caitlin Biongiorno. Buongiorno. Yes, nice. Uh, Caitlin Buongiorno. <laughs> that was, that's actually creepy. I'm sorry. I'm going to do that again and pretend the other thing never happened. Um, that was from Caitlin Buongiorno of astronomy.com. Uh, moving on. My friends, the same hole. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I can't get out of this. Okay, so the same hole, but now even more radioluminous than any other radioluminous event was happening before them. But here is the kicker. This black hole hadn't swallowed anything new. This was weird. Sebastian Gomez, a postdoctoral fellow at the Space Telescope Science Institute and co-author of a new paper we're about to hop into, told astronomy.com, quote, when AT2018HYZ was discovered, the team monitored it in visible light for several months until it faded away and then set it out of our minds, end quote. He then went on to call old A.T. an unremarkable event. <laughs> Whoops. Turns out this black hole was nowhere near finished with its TDE. Three years later, it began to flare up, which broke black hole rules. And then after measuring the outflow, it broke another rule. 
Material was moving at 50% the speed of light, not like 99% of cases or like 1% of cases. It seems like this black hole was out there just doing its own thing. Quote, it's as if this black hole had started abruptly burping out a bunch of material from the star it ate years ago, Sendez told NPR. This is the first case where we've seen this sort of speed associated with this event or this type of outflow, and that it also happened. The best estimate we have is about two years after the star got eaten by this black hole is when this new outflow began, and that's really exciting. That's never been seen before. End quote. Yes, you heard me, my friends. After the initial spaghettiification came what's been called a burp. Mm-hmm. Now, you may have a few questions like, okay, that's, that's understandable as a human, but for a black hole? And also, at some point, things can't escape, right? Ah, my business goose, you are a genius. These are great questions. Quote, there's a point when you get too close to a black hole that you can no longer escape. That's called the event horizon. But this material that ne but this material never crossed that boundary, according to our best estimates, Avet told NPR. In other words, the star got close enough to the black hole to get shredded, but not to fall into the, that point of no return. End quote. Okay, that's everything seems to be wrapped up in a neat little package then, right? I mean, we should all go home? No, no, never. Not on this show. One documented case does not a theory make. Even Yvette was skeptical of her own quote to NPR. Let's just say, Yvette and the gang were hungry to find out what exactly was going on here. So they hitched up their pants and they got to looking at holes. That's right. In a study uploaded to, <laughs> in a study uploaded August 25th to the preprint database ARXIV, 24 black holes were re-examined, and a whopping 10 of them were re-emitting material two to six years after their star-destroying events. It's official. In up to 50% of cases, black holes burp back stellar material years after an initial TDE. Fucking why? Well, long story short, we don't fucking know. <laughs> but we do know that when we find out, that when we find the answer, it's going to completely rewrite some laws of physics. Quote, Sendez and the team don't know what's causing black holes to switch on after many years. But whatever it is, it does definitely not come from inside the black holes. Black holes are marked by an event horizon, the point at which gravity is so strong that not even light can escape. Black holes are very extreme gravitational environments even before you pass that event horizon. And that's what's really driving this, Yvette told Live Science. We don't fully understand if the material observed in the radio waves is coming from the accretion disk or if it's being stored somewhere closer to the black hole. Black holes are definitely messy eaters, though. End quote. So, my friends, yeah, the question just may be, what in the holy hell is going on between the event horizon and the accretion disk? How can anything even exist in that space long enough to stick around for a few years 
before it's spaghettified. It, 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 <laughs> I can't. <laughs> it's not supposed to be there. <laughs> when we find out, you will be the first to know. So thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, telling your friends that black holes burp, kind of. And uh, we can read thoughts or Google can read thoughts now. Just be careful with your earbuds. And uh, <laughs> I know, I know. And a big old sloppy burpy thanks to the, <laughs> to the folks over at Airwave Media, the podcast network to which WTI belongs. If you love this show, you'll love the other podcasts in this family. And please stay interesting.